Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. In a sudden flash, it all comes clear. It's a eureka moment, an epiphany. Hi, I'm Marcus Smith, host of the Constant Wonder Podcast. The world offers marvel, meaning, and mystery around every single corner. In nature, art, science, culture, history, we talk everything from bees and beetles to obelisks and asteroids. Experience the thrill of transformative encounter. We'll bring more wonder to your day. Listen to Constant Wonder wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to History Hack. If you didn't know by now, we are the revolution. That means we're sharp, witty, lots of fun, but it also means that we're essentially the peasants in Les Mis huddled round a table in the corner of a bar with no money. If you enjoy the show, please do support us. We have a Patreon account by which you can donate a small monthly sum in appreciation of what you're hearing. Alternatively, we have Ko-fi in which you can just do a one-off donation as a thank you if you particularly enjoy a certain episode. Either way, we massively appreciate all of your support. Hope you enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of History Hack. I am Chris and I am in the chair for once um, or twice this week actually. And I am here with the fantabulous Sam. Sam, good evening. How are you? Hello, darlings. Thank you for uh, finally trusting me to come back on after the last episode where I took it to a weird turn with monkey Jesus and murdering moths. So thank you for finally bringing me back. <laughs> you and well, I in the seats. What can go wrong? Absolutely. Um, so uh, I'm quite excited about this one because I am a, a, a secret uh, railway fan. Uh, who have we got on tonight, Sam? Uh, tonight, we have uh, Julian Holland, who is a historian and photographer. He specialises in railway history and has written titles including the award-winning Mapping the Railways, History of Britain's Railways uh, and Golden Years of Rail Travel. Here he is to talk to us about his new book tonight, The Times End of the Line, British Railway Closures from 1948 to Beaching. Hi, Julian. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. Pleased to meet you. And yours. One of the perks of this job is I actually get to meet um, people whose books I have on my bookshelf, so I'm actually quite quite pleased. Uh, <laughs> my children are, um, unfortunately have to put up with me talking about lost railway lines around Medway every time we go past certain landmarks, um, which uh, leads me quite neatly into question one. In the 19th century, you see like a massive boom of uh, railway construction, uh, with many towns and villages gaining lines and stations. And Rochester had three, Chatham had two. Um, that sort of thing. What had changed by 1946, though? Well, we need to go back a little bit further, perhaps to the First World War, um, when there was a peak of about 23,400 miles of railway lines in this country. I mean, you could virtually go from anywhere to anywhere by train then. Then in 1923, because the railways were very run down after the war, The, um, the 110 railway companies were merged into four regional big four, they were called, the LMS, GWR, LNER, and the Southern Railway. And then, then the, the World War II came, and the, the railways got very run down again. And then in 1948, the Labour government nationalised 
the big four railways into what what was now known as British Railways. So those those lines um, that were closed on nationalisation scheme were were was it more of an efficiency saving move where two different companies had stations in one town? Well, not not really. Um, from 1948 to say about 1962. Um, there was a subcommittee of, British, of the British Railways Board called the Branch Lines Committee, and they looked very closely at rural railway lines right across Britain and started closing some of the most uneconomic ones. Um, there was about 3,300 miles closed between 1948 and 1962. I mean, the, the, the longest railway line closed during that period was the uh, Midland and Great Northern Junction Railway in East Anglia, which was closed in 1959 with a loss of about 180 miles. Um, but there are lots of very small branch lines all over the UK, well, all over Britain, Scotland and Wales, you know, um, that were closed even before Dr. Beeching came on the scene. The people of East Anglia clearly didn't need to leave East Anglia, and I say that knowing that both Lockie and Beth Wyatt will come for me. <laughs> well, we, had, we had the same in Kent. Um, we, um, we had the, I live on, in a small village, which is actually on the main line, but all the outlying villages, such as Goudhurst and Hawkehurst, started losing, and even the town of Cranbrook lost their lines. Um, but I think they came a bit late. I think the hopping line, hopping line from my, when I read your book is first thing I did was go look at my local lines and, um, that they started to peter out quite quickly because the, uh, hopping industry had sort of gone down quite a bit post, post war. The Kenton East Sussex Railway, uh, which, um, went through Tenderton, Bodium and then, um, um, to Roberts Bridge, um, that closed in the, in the early fifties. Um, but, they used to run special trains from East London for the Cockney um, Cockney folk to go hop picking every, every every season until about the late fifties. Ah, right, it went on that long. I, I I had a feeling it went it sort of ended a bit sooner, but uh, yeah, the uh, if, we're, we're going to get to Kent and East Sussex later. But uh, um, if you quickly plug them, if you do get a chance, do go have a do go down there. It's a lovely day out. It's been a long time. I need to go back. So you'd say that these cuts for nationalisation were quite extensive. Yes, I mean, about three thousand three hundred miles closed um, before Doctor Beeching um, produces his report in nineteen sixty three, and then another four and a half thousand miles were closed after that. So I'm a uh... I'm I'm a, a museum curator, curator who deals with much earlier history. I deal with more Napoleonic uh, up to the First World War. So for someone like me, who the hi- history ends in 1918, what were the beaching cuts? The Brit- British Railways made their first loss in 1955. Before that, they were profitable. Um, then in 1955, they recorded their first loss, and it coincided with a national rail strike by the union Aslef, and it just decimated railways. Um, they lost freight permanently to, to road transport, and they lost a lot of passengers never to come back again. Um, by 1961, the railways were losing, at today's figures, about one and a half billion pounds a year. 
Wow. And the, the government had to do something about it. It was getting worse and worse and worse. So the then Minister of Transport, a guy called Ernest Marples, I'm sure you've heard of him, um, he introduced um, he introduced um, park, um, traffic wardens, uh, yellow lines, um, the MOT, and then um, he was given the job of looking at the railways and he, he appointed a guy called Dr. Richard Beeching, who then worked at ICI. And uh, Beeching said that the railways should not be a public service anymore. They should be run as a profit- profitable concern. And then they did a survey of all the railway lines in the, in Britain during a week, one week in 1961. And using the figures collected during that week, they produced what is now known as the Beeching Report or the reshaping of British Railways, Britain's Railways. Um, that was published in 1963, 27th of March, and it listed the, the closures of about 5,000 miles of railway lines. Um, in the event, about 4,500 of those were closed, along with 2,500 stations and 67,000 jobs were lost. And that was over a period of about 15 years from 1963 onwards. And then basically when, when, when those closures ended, um, the railway network, as we know today, has never changed really, apart from about six routes that were closed by Beeching that have since reopened. And most of those are either in Scotland or in Wales. Um, the last one to reopen was the um, Exeter to Oakhampton line that opened uh, in November last year. Um, so that's a start. But, I mean, these, these reopenings take years and years and years, and they cost a, a fortune. I don't know why, but they do. <laughs> yeah, we're, um, we've got one that they're looking at in um, near where I am in Midway, the um, across the Grain Peninsula. It's currently a freight line. It had been passenger. It's gone down to freight. Yeah. But um, I don't know how political I can get, but Midway Council are basically looking to build more housing and the the grain and who peninsula is the best place for it because there's no one there to complain and so they're talking about re, re um, electrifying the line and uh running a, a passenger service again that'd be fantastic i mean now that, that, that line close to passengers back in the 50s you know um, yeah i mean it's, it's still open for um i think stone trains or something to go down there yeah, yeah, the, the, you've got the, um, the, the port of grain, um, and the, the, the amount of aggregate they get, and they ship it all in through, um, through, uh, Fort Cliff as well. But I, I I'm digressing. <laughs> Sorry, wandering <laughs> up into local history. Uh, yeah. only I seem to care about. <laughs> no, so, um, so you put, you put two train nerds together and suddenly you go off on a train nerd tangent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And Midway Forts, cause Fort, Fort Cliff. And anyway, anyway, um, so. Um, how how did the government decide which lines? Well, you said sort of by looking at the profit stuff, but how did they decide which ones were definitely the lines that were going to be closed? Well, um, up to 1962, they had this branch lines committee that was um, a subcommittee of British Railways, and they made its decision 
and they were just closed. Uh, there wasn't really any consultation or anything. But um, from 1963 onwards, um, following the Beechy Report, um, they couldn't just close the railway line just like that. They had to have um, negotiations with the local councils and the local community. And um, if they were going to be closed, they had to put it on a replacement bus service. Um, so, I mean, my, my local line, I'm in Glastonbury at the moment, um, my local line from Highbridge to Evercreech Junction went through Glastonbury. Um, that was supposed to be closed on January the 1st, 1966. And they, they laid on uh, bus companies that would... In a sudden flash, it all comes clear. It's a eureka moment, an epiphany. Hi, I'm Marcus Smith, host of the Constant Wonder podcast. The world offers marvel, meaning, and mystery around every single corner. In nature, art, science, culture, history, we talk everything from bees and beetles to obelisks and asteroids. Experience the thrill of transformative encounter. We'll bring more wonder to your day. Listen to Constant Wonder wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, that would supply replacement bus services. And then just at the last moment, one of the bus companies pulled out and they couldn't close the line. So they put on a skeleton service about two trains a day until oh. March 1966. And then, then the line closed. But you see, the buses that were introduced, some of them didn't last very long at all. So consequently, um, small villages and towns that lost their railways had virtually no public transport at all. And Consequently, people bought, bought cars, you know, um, and and so the story goes on. Uh, like you said, with the deaths of so many lines across the country, this is actually having quite a quite a negative effect on mainly rural areas. I mean, um, cities like Winchester, who had two stations, doesn't really affect when you lose Chesil, but like I said, Hawkehurst, Goudhurst, out in the middle of nowhere. I love you, Weald, Weald of Kent, if you're listening. Um, <laughs> but it, uh, I mean, like I said, my village, we only had one train one train each way an hour, and in the eight, in the 90s, there was nowhere to go. It was even worse if you were out in the middle of nowhere. So um, it must have had a really detrimental effect to sort of the low, uh, rural areas. Yes, yes, it did, certainly. And, and, you know, all hinged on these replacement bus services, which, as I say... Um, they were introduced so that they could close the railways. They could say then to the public, well, there's still transport. But unfortunately, a lot of these bus services didn't last very long. And, uh, you know, people then bought cars. So there's even less demand for the buses. And so it goes on. It's just a vicious circle. I mean, they could reopen the line from Highbridge to Glastonbury very easily, structurally, because it's on the level. Um, all the, the track bed's still there. There's one slight problem. The M5 goes over the roots of it now, but they could tunnel under that. But there's there's one even bigger problem, and that is that m- most of the track bed now runs through RSPB reserves. Mm. And it's also used by um, cyclists. It's, it's a Sustrans route. So... To reopen it as a railway now would just be impossible 
because the birds and the cyclists are more important. Absolutely. Um, and I keep talking about this, but like the Goudhurst line or even the, uh, the Winchester to Shawford line through Chesil, it's yeah. all, um, it's all rural countryside now and like private landowners. And so it's, you can't really best track out to, to Goudhurst. Uh, um, and I don't know if the, I know the government are talking about it. And again, I don't know how political I can get, but I know they did. Uh, Boris Johnson was talking about trying to reverse some of the beaching cuts. So it'd be interesting to see how they would do that and where they, where they could, could do it. It's very interesting. I'm saying just now about the line to Oakhampton from Exeter that opened, reopened last November. Well, the, the idea behind it is that it carries on through, um, um, Tavistock, which, which is where it used to run, um, Beer Alston and then down to Plymouth. So it's a, a circular route round the north of Dartmoor and that would then be, could be used as an alternative route to Plymouth when floods disrupt the line in Dawlish, as it did a few years ago. And um, it's quite a serious proposal, this. But there's one, one slight problem. Um, after closure, uh, I think it was Tavistock Tavis Council built their council buildings across the route of the old railway line. So they'd have to demolish that. But, I mean, it's, it's all very, very doable, actually. It just needs a bit of political epo. I'm sure the people of Plymouth will be really play, pleased. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Right, absolutely. The Dawlish line is um, it's fantastic. It's a fantastic piece of Brunel engineering and it's lovely. And as you come down, you've literally got the sea just off to the side of the train. And on the right, you've just got the cliffs going all the way up, and it's fantastic until the weather is awful and the sea is crashing down on the track. <laughs> the train, you can't get in or out of Plymouth. <laughs> uh, I've been along there in the summer behind a, a steam engine. Um, oh, nice. A few years ago, you know, the steam special down to Kingsweir from Bristol. And the train was going on about 70 miles an hour along, along that seafront blowing its whistle. There were hundreds of people there, all waving. I mean, that's what I love about steam trains, that when people see them, they smile and they wave. It makes yeah. us happy, doesn't it? Absolutely, yeah. Um, whenever I used to get off the train in London when I was commuting and there'd be a steam engine in Victoria Station, it's like, I'm going to be five minutes late for work. I need to take some pictures, <laughs> send them to my son. <laughs> just makes you feel so happy i don't i don't know why whether i'm just looking at it through rose tinted glasses or something 
because it, you know, back in the sixties, I was a train spotter. Um, and I used to travel here, there and everywhere, dirty engine sheds and by steam train along a lot of the lines that have since closed. I had a great time. My parents didn't know where I was. I was off to London. I lived in Gloucester. I was off to London, Birmingham, Derby, Swindon, Crewe. They had no idea, but I always came back safely. <laughs> the the lines that were closed due to the beaching cuts, have any of them been utilised by local steam train routes? You know, you get little, beautiful yes. little steam train routes around the country. Yes, yes a, a lot of them have. There's about um, 500 miles or so of heritage railways in this country now. We've got more more heritage railways than any other country in the world. And um, they they all run along lines that used to be open during the old days and then closed. I mean, um, the Kentonese Sussex is a, a very good example. But near, near me, there's the uh, West Somerset Railway, which I love. And it goes from Bishop Lydiard near Taunton up to the coast at Minehead. And it's mm. fantastic. It's about 20 miles. It's the longest heritage railway in England. And it is just fantastic. It's like going back 50, 60 years. You sit there, steam train, looking at the scenery, the Pontoc Hills, the Bristol Channel, albeit muddy, um, Dunster Castle. It's lovely. And then you, you arrive at Minehead. It's, it's very slow because these trains are only allowed to go 25 miles an hour anyway. And you get to Minehead and then you, you walk across the road and there's a sea and you have some fish and chips or whatever. It's a fantastic day out. I, uh, the, near where I grew up is the Bluebell Railway and I, I bought oh, my dad's yeah. membership of, of that as he retired. He retired in COVID and he didn't really have many hobbies that were getting him out of the house. So I got him this membership to the Bluebell Railway and now he's become one of you two. He's become a <laughs> trainer. He volunteers at the museum. He's got books stacked high. He's researching. He understands different lamp styles. He's, <laughs> you, you've claimed him. You've claimed him for your own. Oh, I, I love the Bluebell Railway. It's fantastic. It's real Victoriana, isn't it? Yeah. Stunning. <laughs> as, as I said, there's, there's, uh, there's about, well, there's at least a hundred of these heritage railways all over Britain. Um, there's a, a very big concentration in North Wales, which is fantastic. Um, the Welsh Highland Railway, the Festinial Railway, the Talitlin Railway, they're all narrow gauge and they all closed, you know, back in the thirties and forties. And they've since reopened, all with the help of volunteers mainly, mm. people who give their time freely. They just love, love railways. And there's just something about a steam railway as well that just gets a kid excited. Yeah, there, no. There's no child that's immune to a steam railway. No, no, no. Hence, hence the success of Thomas Tank Engine. Yeah. <laughs> I, I would, I would ask you, Sam. You, you have met my. My daughter, right? <laughs> my boys, yes. My daughter, nah. The trained dad. <laughs> she's not that bothered. Um, but she's in that teenage, pre-teenage period, so everything's sort of, ugh. But, um, <laughs> like we were saying, a lot of these lines have got, um, have got quite a bit of history, such as the, uh, the east, the Meon River Valley through Hampshire, with its links to D-Day. The Meon Valley line is very interesting, actually. I used to live near Alton, funnily enough, many years ago. And uh, the, the railway had already closed back when I was living there. Um, but it used to go down from Alton to um, 
Droxford, which was very famous during the Second World War, um, and then on to Fareham, and then to Gosport. And they built the line as a main line to carry trains down from Waterloo to Gos- Gosport and a place called Stokes Bay, mm. which the railway company, the London and South Western Railway, they had a ferry service to the Isle of Wight, but it, it never developed. Um, and when the railway opened, it, it opened as a single line railway from 1903 onwards. And it had, it had tunnels and a big viaduct at, um, I think it was West Mian. I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. but Droxford station, which is, is still there now. The station is, is private residence and there's a fence around it, you know, but there's, um, in 1944, just before D-Day, um, uh, a special train parked at Droxford for a, a very, very important meeting between General Eisenhower, Winston Churchill and other allies to discuss the D-Day landings. And that, that was only a few days before they actually happened. So Droxford was very important in, in uh, world history. <laughs> It's one of those facts that if you know it, you know it. It sounds silly, but it's one of those facts that if you know it, you know it. But a lot of people wouldn't. If you said oh, I was at Droxford Station, they'd have no idea where that was or uh, how to get there. And, um, there's there's a, just a little plaque outside the station by the road um, as a sort of memorial to to that meeting. Um, you know, and it changed history, didn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's really important. Um, the same with, I know I keep harping on about Winchester, but I used to live there and Sam does live there. Um, and that's where I was sort of wandering around Chesil Street before I knew there was a line there. And this looks awfully like a railway station. Then I found the tunnel, but that was actually the main freight line where they were taking, um, tanks and, uh, equipment yeah. down to Southampton for D-Day yeah. out across the, the um, where I used to work at the university, they had the, the sports ground and that used to be where they, um, parked all the, all the, um, freight trucks for it. Yeah, so that, yeah. cause it's a continual loop. That, I forget that, the was the, that was the old Didcot, Newbury and Southampton line. And yeah. Winchester Cheese, Chesil was, is also known as Win- Winchester Cheese Hill. Yeah. It could be either or. And I think that closed in the very early sixties. Yeah, and you've got the beautiful um, Hockley Viaduct. Um, they've um, they've cleared it now, so you can cycle across. They, they, you can cycle across it. And there was a when I was there as a student, they had a bit of a stump of a signal, and they've restored it and built a whole signal there as well now. That's so um, in working order. Yeah, uh, <laughs> we could go on and on and on for hours. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Your book, genuinely, your book is fabulous, really detailed and thorough. Um, I, I got lost. I was reading it for hours. Um, drawing questions out of it was quite difficult. There's so many lines and so many stories to choose from, but what would possibly be your favorite story? If, if it's possible to have your own favorite line and go, yeah, I'm quite attached to that one. Um, well, can I cheat and have two? One yeah, is, go for it. <laughs> one I've already spoken about, which is the West Somerset Railway. You know, the, the Taunton to Mine headline, which closed in 1972 or something like that. Um, and, and they actually filmed, um, the Hard Day's Night on that with the Beatles. And they actually, oh, ran, right. yeah, they ran a train up to Minehead with the Beatles and, and Wilfred Bramble, you know, and they were filming inside there. I mean, it's, you know, it was, uh, very run down 
at that time, Minehead, and despite the opening Butlin's holiday camp, they still closed the railway, which is absolutely <laughs> crazy. But then the Somerset Council bought the track bed, fortunately, so nobody could develop, develop, develop it. And they reopened the West Somerset Railway along that. So that's one of my favourites. The, the other favourite is completely different. And that's the, um, it used to be called the Port Road. And it runs from Dumfries in, uh, southwest Scotland, um, across, um, Dumfries and Galloway to Stranraer Harbour, what it used to. And, uh, I've been on that line just before it closed behind a steam engine, of course. And it was fantastic. It's a fantastic, um, um, viaducts and very wild and very remote, completely different to the West Somerset. I wish that would reopen. If, if they could reopen it, it would take a hell of a lot of lorries off the roads. So basically, what you said earlier about how people people were buying more cars because the lines were closing, should we just blame the entire climate change crisis mm-hmm. on Dr. Beeching and the line closures? Just blame the whole thing on him. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I shouldn't say this, but I will do. I'm very surprised that the... Um, the Green Lobby haven't um, tried to shut down the heritage steam railways. That's why I said everyone loves the steam railway. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> ultimately, more trains would um, get, I mean, as a former commuter, um, getting more people on trains would mean less cars on the road. I mean, one, um, of, the, one of the really good things that came out of the Beaching Report was that um, he he recommended having liner trains for freight, which is exactly what's happened. And you have these container, shipping containers at Felixstone, Southampton and Liverpool put onto railway wagons and they're taken all over the country. I mean, Tesco's use them very uh, very considerably. They, they take all their, their supplies up to Scotland and Inverness by train now. So that was one of the um, the good things that came out of the Beach War. And he also recommended the use of um, merry-go-round trains, which until the coal, coal mines closed, um, were used from the coal mines to the power stations. You know, they literally went round and round, <laughs> merry-go-round. But th- those have ended now because there aren't any, aren't any coal-fired power stations. Well, thank you so much, Julian, for coming on. Thank you for asking me. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you. Our incredible guests give us 45 minutes of their time to join us and talk about their work or their new book. This is just a small taster. As a result, we have launched our very own bookshop on bookshop.org, where you can find our guests' latest books. You can support them and you can support us on History Hack. 10% of every sale via our bookshop supports the podcast and allows us to keep going and bring you more top-of-the-line guests. You can find our bookshop at bookshop.org forward slash shop forward slash history hack or search for us in the shop section. Thank you so much for your continued support. We really appreciate our listeners and supporters. So make sure you get down to the bookshop and grab yourselves a new book. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. 
Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the Internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. shopify.com slash work.